Welcome to Beyond Sunday School. Glad you are with us this week. We start our new series here today on uh, the background of the New Testament books. We're going to look at kind of the history, the culture, different things um, to help get some of the uh, context of these New Testament books here on Beyond Sunday School. Uh, So uh, just so you know, we record this live on Wednesdays at seven o'clock on Zoom. And so if you're interested in being a part of that time, uh, reach out, let me know. I'll make sure to get you the link. And uh, then you can be a part of the live recording where you can ask your questions in real time. And so you may hear uh, some some people in the background talking. Those are the folks that are here live with us uh, on Wednesday night. And uh, so they'll ask, you know, they may ask questions and uh, we encourage them to do that. So, uh, cause if they're wondering something, then you probably are too. So uh, let me pray and we will, we will get rolling. Heavenly father. Thanks for tonight. As we spend uh, some time here looking at the, the history of the New Testament. Uh, we pray that uh, you might use this information uh, to help us go deeper in our study and uh, ultimately that we might know you better and that we might change. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, there is, uh, there's just, there's a lot. <laughs> there are, there's a lot here. And there is uh, about a million different ways that we can explore this information together. Um, so what, what we're going to do mm-hmm. is we are going to follow, uh, we're going to follow uh, the organization of a book called the New Testament Survey. And um, it's uh, written by Merrill Tenney. And this is kind of a, a pretty classic New Testament uh, survey. And, you know, it's, it's one of these that have kind of stood the test of time. And so we're going to kind of follow his, uh, his organization. And so we're going to, tonight, we are going to try to get a sense of the political context of, of the New Testament world. And then... Next week, we will uh, we'll look at some of the, you know, social, economic, that kind of stuff. We'll get into the religious, uh, we'll get into the religious context uh, of, of the New Testament world. And then we'll spend some time specifically looking at first century Judaism uh, before we dive into, you know, the, the Gospels and, uh, and then into into uh, acts and the the letters by paul we're gonna we're just gonna kind of work our way through and all the way along uh, we'll be in and out of the scriptures uh we'll be but we're we're looking primarily at this background information so how you know what what were the what was the the context um that these things were written in because anytime we read anything in the Bible, we really are reading someone else's mail, right? This, the, these, are, these are texts, letters, stories 
that were written to a specific people at a specific time and in a specific place. And for us to be able to you know, really wrap our heads around these various texts that, that make up what we call the New Testament, we need to have, we really need to have some sense of what their world was like. Because when we do, then what we're able to do is, is we're able to find the parallels between their world and our world. When, we're, when we find those parallels, when we find those pieces of the puzzle, so to speak, it, it brings the text to life. It allows us to grab hold of, of the finer points of the story. It helps us to, to see how if uh, Matthew was writing his gospel today, uh, would he have some different concerns? Would he have different emphases? How do, the, how do his emphases and concerns uh, bridge into our modern day world? And when we do that, it helps inform us as to our uh, as, as to our spiritual reality. It helps us grow. It helps us change. And, and as we study the scriptures, I mean, this is this really is what we want. We want to change. We don't want to simply gain information. The point of studying the scriptures is to get to know the God behind the scriptures, right? So the Bible, um, the Bible is not God. And I think sometimes, especially in the West, especially in America, and especially in American Christianity, we take the Bible and we put it on par with God. We think that as we read the Bible, you know, we are directly interacting with, with the divine and, and we're not, the Bible is important. The Bible is, uh, it's, it's, it's critical to our formation spiritually, to our identity formation as followers of Jesus. Um, but it was, it's, it's still not God. Um, it is inspired you know, it is, it is without error. It's infallible. It's all these things that we want to talk about. Um, but it's still not God. And it was still written by people in a specific time and in a specific place. And so for us to really grasp some of these things on a deeper level, we, we need to spend some time learning about those specific people in those specific times in that specific place. Because as we do, uh, we just we just gain gain uh, greater color and uh, and a deeper, richer knowledge and understanding of of the scriptures of Jesus and 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 of God. Um, so, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, as we spend some some time looking at some of these things. Uh, it's almost like a virtual trip to, to the Holy Land, in a sense. Uh, my father-in-law, a number of years ago, uh, took me to Israel. And, and because he's, he has a conviction that 
all pastors need to go uh, to, to Israel. They all need, he, he thinks every, all of us need to, to visit the Holy Land, that we need to see the places where Jesus walked, where, um, you know, where the crucifixion happened, where the resurrection happened, where the Sermon on the Mount happened. Uh, he, he, is, he is convinced that that, that is a necessity uh, for pastors who are serious about teaching the scriptures. And after going, uh, <laughs> I don't think he's wrong because going and seeing these places, standing where Paul stood, standing where Peter stood, uh, you know, going, going to walking these roads that are the same roads that, that Jesus walked on sitting in uh, you know, sitting in the Mount of Olives, uh, praying, uh, thinking, you know, sitting, sitting there looking out over that little valley and seeing the city of Jerusalem. And, and, you know, here we are doing this first episode during Holy Week. And that, that reality that that night Jesus is there, um, you know, on the Mount of Olives, and he's seeing at night, uh, the people coming to arrest him. He would have seen them carrying the torches, walking down the, the hillside and then coming up the hillside. He would have had time to see and process, uh, you know, throughout the evening. So it, all of a sudden now that time where he's praying with his, you know, where he's praying and his disciples are stones throw away. And you, you, you get a better sense of why he was a little bit frustrated that those guys were falling asleep because they could look out and see the same thing he did. It, it brings it all to life. And so hopefully, uh, as, as we walk through this, it brings the text to life. It adds color to it. It adds um, some of the nuances to it. You know, we'll talk about uh, one, of the, one of the things, themes that are going to come up over and over and over again uh, is empire as we walk through this and the role and influence of empire on the formation of the new Testament, uh, things like, as we get into, uh, Colossians, for instance, you have an early Christian hymn there in, in Colossians one 15 through 20, where the early Christians co-opt, um, language that the Caesars were applying to themselves, savior, uh, son of God, all these things that we just immediately apply uh, to Christ. Uh, those were those were words and phrases and ideas that that the empire that the emperor applied to himself. And so, when you know that, and then you read what you read in in Colossians one fifteen through twenty, and you go, wait a minute, this this text is doing way more than just talking about Jesus what these early church, what the early church was doing was subverting the entire imperial structure and order and authority. I mean, it's, it, it just, it changes. It just adds so much depth and weight uh, to, to the scriptures. So hopefully, Hello. yeah, Dorothy, are you there? Oh, so oh. You still can't hear us, um, but uh, you know. Hopefully, these these next few weeks, these these numbers of weeks, will will help us uh, will help us 
see the scriptures come to life a little bit. Um, so uh, to get us rolling, uh, I want to read uh, just a little bit here in the gospel of Luke. It goes like this. It says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, his wife Elizabeth, also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's command and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. So we can read through that, and we do. Most Christmas seasons, most Advent seasons, we, we read through and roll through that. And, um, you know, we just kind of skate over all of this. But what Luke is telling us here is, one, he's trying to write a history. He's trying to write an orderly account. Uh, so he's doing something a little bit differently than some of the other gospel accounts. For instance, the gospel of John was written for the sake of evangelism. It is one of the earliest Christian tracts. He wrote it to convince people to follow Jesus. He's not doing what Luke is doing. Um, Luke is trying to write this orderly history. And, uh, and as a result, he does some things, things like in the time of Herod, king of Judea. All right, we read over that. What does that mean? How did we get there? We start needing to go down and start asking some questions. And that leads us to where we want to start tonight. Uh, which is the political world of the New Testament. And, uh, and the reality is that the, uh, the political world of the New Testament uh, is tied intimately into the empire of Rome. You see, Rome... Rome at the time of Jesus, Rome at the time of the New Testament, uh, was, was the greatest power the world had ever seen. Uh, the empire uh, was wide-ranging. Uh, it basically covered the entire known world. And so for us to understand, uh, you know, what does it mean for Luke to say, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, how could Herod be king if Rome was in, you know, was in charge of Judea? If, if Judea was, was a part of the Roman Empire, how could they have a king? So uh, this, this gets us to where we, we need to go. Uh, Rome was founded, uh, the city was founded in 753 BC. So, you know, about... 750 years before Christ, uh, you have uh, you have a small village, and then over the next 500 
hundred years of almost um, non-stop war, Rome goes from a small city to a global empire. And uh, they, they fight, uh, they fight constantly. The, uh, really the, the modern, the modern Roman empire, as we think of it, uh, as you know, we will talk about it, uh, really, uh, begins in about 146 BC. Uh, and that is when Scipio, uh, conquers Carthage. So it's at that point that, uh, you know, things, things for Rome, uh, have now really kind of reached the point of, of, of total domination in the known world. And, uh, you know, you have such famous names that come out of this era, right? Uh, you know, you have Julius Caesar, you have Mark Antony, you have Cleopatra, you have Octavian. I mean, like these are, they, they almost seem like myths at this point because of movies and, and everything. But these were real people who walked through real history and changed the world and changed the entire course and direction of the world. They created, God used them to create a context for the coming of Christ, for the development of the New Testament, for uh, the Greek language to become the lingua franca that so the message of the gospel could go out. Uh, the Roman Empire builds roads and invests in infrastructure more than any, any other empire prior to them uh, in that part of the world, uh, which made it so that Paul and his companions could go on these great missionary journeys. And so we can look back and we go, man, the Roman Empire was not great because empire in and of itself is not great. But God in his sovereignty uses, uses all of this to create the context for, for the coming of Christ. So the first, uh, the first, you know, the first emperor uh, is, is Augustus Caesar. Uh, you know, his other name, his other name was Octavian. Uh, but he, he goes by, but he's most well-known uh, by Augustus. And, uh, and it's under his rule uh, that uh, the empire is, is really firmly established. Now, it's, it, it's interesting um, because the way he comes to power as the emperor is not the way that a dictator in our modern day and age would. He comes to power through, through, through their kind of constitutional work and through the Republic. The Senate, the Imperial Senate of Rome, sets him up and confers this power of, of the Imperium uh, to him. So his, his rights and his ruling uh, is founded in constitutional authority rather than just 
him seizing power. And so uh, it's under him. He reigns from uh, 27 BC uh, to AD 14. So he is, he is reigning uh, at, at Christ's birth. Uh, he is, you know, he's the, he's the emperor uh, when, when Jesus is born. Um, and uh, so then, uh, you know, one of the things, one of the big things that, uh, that Augustus did uh, is he, along with his vast building plans and his building of in, infrastructure, he wanted to help uh, kind of create the sense of morale and identity as Roman citizens. And at this point, uh, Rome is, is huge. It's global. It's an empire that is, uh, you know, that is that is beyond anything anyone has ever known. And so how do you create an identity? Um, how do you create social cohesion with all these people that are spread all over the world? You do so with religion, plain and simple. And so uh, what he does is he, he encourages uh, the development of um, of the Roman, of what's known as the Rome, Roman imperial cult. Um, and this, in this, at its heart, was worshiping Rome as a state. Uh, so not just Caesar, but Rome itself, the empire itself was to be worshipped, and the emperor. Uh, in especially in the provinces, in these places not in Rome, was set up then as uh, the central figure of worship, and uh, he was he was worshipped as Dominus et Deus, so Lord and God. My Lord and God is how he was uh, to be worshipped. And so, Dan, yeah. So Augustus was worshipped as well as the Roman Empire. Yeah. So, um, so the so the way you could think about it, um, if you think about like almost like Rome is to Christianity as Caesar is to Jesus. So even though we don't worship Christianity, you could in some sense say we do, right? Um, so Rome, Rome was this was this entity, was this idea that that was ultimately being worshipped, but then Caesar was the image that they bowed down to. He was he was the one that they um, that they they made statues of, and because you can't really make a statue of Rome but you were worshiping Rome through Caesar. Does that make sense? I think so. Yeah. It's, it's weird. Um, but the idea was they, he, he knew Augustus knew that he needed social cohesion. He needed the people in the provinces to, to come around and find their identity as Roman citizens. And, 
And so he was, he wanted that to be done through the worship of Rome. Um, and this is, and we, you know, and this is where you get uh, kind of rolling persecutions later on, especially in the provinces of neighbor on neighbor persecution, because when you start following Christ, when you start pursuing Jesus, you no longer are going to worship Rome. You're no longer going to worship uh, Caesar. So you're breaking social cohesion and you get all of this, um, you know, uh, just social pressure then, uh, because you're not doing, you're not doing the right thing. Right. I mean, this is, um, and we see this, you know, you, you could see this in a, in a low level way, like of a Michigan fan moved to Columbus, Ohio, right. You know, you're going to, Oh, so you're going to be that guy that's going to hang the Michigan flag in the middle of Columbus, Ohio, uh, that kind <laughs> of thing, right? Like this is, this is kind of, kind of the idea. Um, so, so he, he builds, you know, he establishes all of these, um, these, these places of worship uh, and, and, and he's trying to build uh, this, this social cohesion. So, uh, he, he was an unbelievable leader, uh, confident, competent, really good, uh, at his, as, as an empire, as an emperor goes, he was, he was really good. Uh, he, he would boast. This is a great line. He said that, uh, that he had found Rome brick and had left it marble. He had found Rome brick and left it marble. So this idea of, you know, he upgraded it, right? Uh, and uh, so he was, he was pretty significant. Uh, the next uh, emperor was Tiberius. Uh, and this was Augustus's adopted son. Uh, and he ruled from AD 14 to 37. So he would have been uh, on the throne as emperor uh, at Christ's uh, crucifixion and resurrection. So just so you can kind of try to wrap, you know, try to place these guys, right? So you have Augustus, who was the emperor when he was born, and Tiberius is the emperor at his death. And uh, he was, uh, he, he ruled from 14 to 37. Uh, he was, he was, um, he wasn't liked. He was kind of a the way they describe him is that he was distant, haughty, suspicious, and irascible. <laughs> so uh, I guess he had a really bad temper. Um, and people just, they, they weren't comfortable around him. They didn't feel like they could trust him. Uh, a big part of the reason he was, I guess, so nasty and angry is because Augustus made him divorce his first wife and marry somebody else. Um you know, because it was a better, a better political move. And uh, he never really forgave Augustus for that and never really, uh, and was just kind of hurt and angry about that whole thing. So, uh, you know, so this, he, I guess he was a bit of a romantic and just couldn't quite, couldn't quite get over it. Um, so uh, everybody at this time uh, was, was kind of on eggshells during his reign, because if he thought you were coming after him, if he thought you were an enemy, he would, uh, he would, he would take, 
take you out. As a result, uh, there wasn't very good morality in the Roman uh, military. And so they were suffering losses up in, in Germany and they, they, they suffered some set, setbacks where they had to move uh, south of the, you know, south of the river Rhine. Uh, so it was, um, you know, so, so there was, there was good things uh, that he did, but he was, but he just wasn't very popular. Uh, and then you get Caligula in 37 to 41. And, uh, you know, he was super popular to start, uh, but then he was just kind of there to get, to get money and uh, to have a lot of sex. Um, he, he basically, that, that's kind of what he, what he did. He emptied the Imperial treasury. <laughs> I mean, the, the guy spent all the money. He spent all the money partying and having a great time. Um, and so he was, uh, so a lot of, a lot of folks, um, uh, think that he was the, uh, abomination of desolation from Mark 13 verse 14. Uh, so, so a lot of folks think that's, that's what Mark is referring to there. Um, because he, one of the things that, that Caligula threatened to do was to set up a, he was this, he, he threatened to set up a statue of himself to be worshiped in the temple. Uh, so, you know, so, so that's, so, so some folks think that's what Mark is referencing there. Um, but, uh, but, uh, the guy, uh, who was in charge of uh, the Jerusalem area, the, the area of Judea, kind of held off and was like, eh, let's wait and see what happens. And then Caligula croaked. So, uh, <laughs> so there was, because if, if they had tried to do that, if they had tried to actually set up a, a statue of the emperor in the temple, there would have been a bloody revolt in Jerusalem. I mean, we see, we see already in, you know, we see it in the gospels, right? The, the discussion of, of zealots. Um, I mean, one of Jesus' disciples was a zealot. And these were, this was a faction that wanted to overthrow Rome, that wanted to go to war with Rome. And as time goes on after the time of Christ, and we're going to learn more about this in the coming weeks, the zealotry grew that that party grew uh in uh in power and in influence with the common man so uh so yeah so 41 he dies uh and then claudius uh claudius reigns is he's the he's the next he's the next uh the the next emperor, he reigns from 41 to 54. So he was reigning during uh, Paul's early, uh, early missionary journeys. And, uh, you know, he was, uh, apparently he had an illness early on uh, as a child. And it almost sounds like maybe polio. Uh, but apparently it left him weak and, and had some sort of, uh, some level of paralysis uh, where he couldn't walk very well. 
and apparently he drooled kind of constantly. Uh, so he was, he didn't do a lot of, uh, public, <laughs> not a public speaking. He was, he was not, not kind of out there, but he is the one, uh, who was in power, uh, when, uh, the Jews are being expelled from Rome, right? So we, we learn about that in, uh, Acts chapter 18, uh, Aquila and Priscilla were expelled from Rome, uh, during this time, uh, because of um, the a disturbance surrounding Christus, uh, so this uh, the Roman the Roman historian Suetonius, uh, in his in his book uh, about the reign of Claudius, talks about him expelling the Jews because there was a great disturbance. Uh, surrounding uh, a figure named Christus, and he spells it C-H-R-E-S-T-U-S. And a lot of scholars uh, believe that Suetonius just misunderstood uh, the spelling or misspelled it, and it was, and it was Christus. And so um, a lot of scholars think that with the coming of the gospel, you know, the Jewish, the, the Jewish people and the, and the Jewish Christians then had they, they kind of went at each other and created this huge disturbance. And the emperor was just like, we're not doing this. Y'all get out. Um, and, uh, and so we get, we catch a little bit of that story uh, in Acts chapter 18, verse two. Uh, now, after, after he dies uh, in 54, we get Nero. Nero reigns from 54 to 68. And, uh, you know, this was during again, during a significant part of Paul's ministry, significant part of the book of Acts, uh, he, you know, this is, this is where the expansion of the church is growing uh, at an exponential rate. Um, he, uh, he was not, you know, Nero wasn't, wasn't the, the nicest guy. He was, but he was coached by um, or mentored by Seneca uh, which, how, do, how do you spell Nero? Nero, N-E-R-O. Oh, Nero. I thought you were saying something else. Now it makes sense. <laughs> yep, Nero. Um, and uh, so he uh, he was very similar in temperament to Caligula. So if you have if you got Claudius who was kind of a well liked by the Senate did a lot of good things uh, as far as rebuilding the treasury and, and was, was pretty savvy. Now you have Nero who was not savvy uh, and, and of temperament similar to Caligula. And so he kind of does the same thing where he goes and blows through the public uh, treasury, wasting the money on, um, you know, on himself and partying and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it's under him in AD 64 that the great fire in Rome uh, was destroyed. And he, it is said that he blamed the Christians in Rome for this fire, even though there's no evidence that Christians uh, had, had anything to do with it. Um, and so it's, it's during that time in 64 where probably the most significant and focused uh, state-sponsored persecution of Christians took place. Uh, and so, you know, 
we our understanding is that the book of Mark was probably the earliest gospel to to be written um, and, and circulated, which uh, probably came. Most scholars think Mark was published in sixty eight. And so, you know, you've got Mark looking back on all of this, writing, uh, writing this story. Uh, so, you know, he, it's, it's during, during Nero's reign that tradition tells us that uh, Peter and Paul were both martyred. Uh, so uh, this is, you know, Nero, Nero is a significant figure uh, and not, not the nicest, again, not the nicest of guys. Um, finally, they, Rome revolts against him and, uh, and he, is, he is eventually killed uh, by one of his own men. And, uh, and then we get this run of, of kind of small time emperors. Uh, we get this guy Galba and who he lasts a year a guy named Otho lasts a year, less than a year. Vitellius, um, he, he lasts about a year uh, or a little less than. And he gets replaced in AD 69 by Vespasian. Uh, Vespasian is the one who built the Colosseum. Uh, Vespasian was, uh, he was the start really of a new family of emperors the flavian dynasty is what it's known as uh, and he was he was a military guy to the core he was loved by the military uh, these you know they they followed him they trusted him he reigned for 10 years uh, he he fixed the treasury uh, because he he got the economy rolling he imposed new taxes he had this whole building program with the Colosseum. Uh, and, and so he, Vespasian is, is, a, is a pretty significant, pretty significant leader. Uh, then he is followed up um, by his two sons, Titus and Domitian. Titus only reigned a couple of years um, from 79 to 81, uh, built a bunch of stuff, but just wasn't, he didn't do much. Domitian, uh, takes over in 81. He reigns for 15 years. Um, and a lot of, uh, a lot of tradition says that it was under Domitian from 81 to 96, uh, that there was significant, some significant persecution, uh, potentially state-sponsored persecution of Christians, uh, which if then you start thinking about, um, the other gospels, right. Um, Luke and Matthew in particular were probably published during this time. And so you get uh, a little bit more of some of this, uh, you know, edge to, to them uh, as you get later into Jesus's more apocalyptic teachings uh, that come out in Matthew and Luke uh, that, that were probably colored uh, by, by this reign of, of Domitian. Um, and in, uh, in, also, you have, uh, you know, it, you have John coming near the end of his life. It's probably in this time that John is exiled to Patmos um, in some of those, those, those bits of history were under, 
were under Domitian. Um, he's followed up by a guy named Nerva, N-E-R-V-A. He lasted just a couple of years. Uh, he was just kind of a filler guy um, before the next big uh, emperor, Trajan. Uh, Trajan, T-R-A-J-A-N, he reigned uh, for about 20 years. And uh, he was, again, he, he, this was a guy who was a soldier. He's loved by, by the soldiers. And uh, he... Uh, what were the years? He went from 98 to 117. And so he was, you know, he was definitely, uh, he, was, he was probably the, uh, the emperor uh, that, that John would have been thinking of or writing about in the Revelation. And uh, so, you know, he's, he was, he's kind of the last one of the, of the New Testament time period. Um, so, so we, as we think about this, just, just to give us um, some, some hooks to hang our hat on, so to speak, Jesus was born in the reign of Augustus, right? His public ministry and death occurred during the reign of Tiberius. The great period of missionary expansion came during Claudius and Nero, um, and then according to tradition, Revelation was written in the reign of Domitian. Uh, so, you know, I, my hunch is that it was probably more under the reign of Trajan. Uh, could you repeat, Dan? Yeah. I'm sorry, but could you repeat what you just said? Augustus was when Jesus was born. Yep. Right. Tiberius was during the ministry of Jesus. Yep. And then what came after that? The uh, period of mis missionary expansion, so the book of Acts, came under Claudius and Nero. Missionary, okay. And then tradition says that Domitian was the emperor uh, when John wrote the wrote Revelation, uh, and we get we get that from uh, from the early church father Irenaeus. So can you spell can you spell Domitian? Yeah. D-O-M-I-T-I-A-N. Oh, okay. Thank you. Yep. He, um, he was when John wrote Revelation. Yep. So this is um so these are the those are the kind of the key emperors uh during that time. Now, as far as structurally, uh Rome was Rome structured its government on on a provincial system. And so when Rome conquered new areas, they were organized into these provinces, which then became a part of the imperial system. And so uh, there were two kinds of of provinces. Uh, there were the provinces that were peaceful and loyal. And they were, uh, they were overseen by what's called proconsuls. Proconsuls reported to the Senate. So if you were a province that was, you know, kind of on board with the Roman thing, right? So, uh, you know, Antioch, Galatia, those kinds of areas were, 
uh, were provinces that were under proconsuls that reported to the Senate. Or, uh, you know, you were, uh, you, you were one who was uh, not so peaceful, more turbulent, we will say, uh, maybe struggled with your commitment to Rome. Well, you were governed by uh, a prefect or a procurator. Um, and that is what Jerusalem, Judea, uh, the area that Jesus lived, right, was under uh, a prefect, which the prefect reported directly to the emperor, to the emperor and had military presence. Uh, Roman, the Roman army uh, was present in those areas. So it was a military occupation. And this is the environment that the New Testament writings come out of. They don't come out of a peaceful Roman province. They are turbulent. They are messy. There is kind of constant a constant slow burn of, um, of, of revolutionary uh, sentiment in, in Judea. And, and the Romans knew it. And so you have guys like Pontius Pilate, uh, who you know, was a military man who reported directly to the emperor. Um, so that's it's kind of how, how they were how they were structured, right? Um, and so these, uh, you know, these, these public officials um, that oversaw the provinces, the, the ones that were under the proconsuls, um, they experienced a lot of uh, liberty, a lot of freedom, they, a lot of those places uh, looked very similar before being under the thumb of Rome and during the, you know, being under Rome's authority because they were peaceful. Now, places like Judea um, were not. And, uh, you know, when you didn't, they didn't have the same kind of, of liberty in the sense that they were freed from Roman occupation. And so, you know, you have, uh, you have Pilate when he shows up, what he wanted to do is he wanted to bring, uh, you know, he wanted the Roman army to come walking in with banners of the image of Caesar uh, right, into, uh, right into the city of Jerusalem and into the Temple Mount area. Now, he was counseled against that. And, uh, and it was probably wise that he listened to his counsel because, you know, if he had done that, it would have, it would have, it would have sparked a, 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 a fire that, that might not have ever been able to get put out at that time. Uh, it would have been, it would have been one of those revolutionary moments. Uh, but he was, he was smart enough to listen and pay attention and not, not go, not go that route. Um, so, uh, this and so this is how this is how Roman uh, culture spread was through these provinces and these proconsuls and 
uh, in these places where there was great peace, uh, there often was a great commitment to uh, the Roman uh, imperial cult, uh, because that is what brought uh, social cohesion. But in places like Israel, uh, where you have a thoroughgoing religion that is saying, no, we're not worshiping this, you had much more tumult. You had much more, uh, you had many more problems and pushbacks against Roman authority and power. Um, and, and as a result, uh, Israel... <laughs> Israel experienced uh, way more difficulties uh, with, with Rome and Roman occupation than, than some of her neighbors. So uh, that's, that's Rome. Uh, that we are, we're, we've, we've barely scratched the surface. Uh, we still haven't got ourselves uh, to Herod, king of Judea, um, but we're going to get there. It's just going to take a minute. But we can't understand, we cannot understand the New Testament apart from understanding that it was written in the shadow of empire, that it was written uh, under the thumb of, of the empire of Rome. Uh, if, if we can't wrap our minds around that, then we can't possibly begin to understand what is happening in, in the New Testament. Um, so, uh, so next week, we are going to uh, look at the Hellenization, uh, or the you call it the Greekifying of of the area, uh, because as 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 important as Rome was politically, uh, the as much as Rome politically and militarily impacted the world at that time, Greek culture impacted Rome just as much, and as a result. Uh, influenced and impacted uh, the whole known world. So that's where we're going next week. We're going to look at uh, we're going to look at the the Hellenization is the fancy word of um, of the first century. So that's where we're heading. Um, do you guys have do you guys have any questions uh, from tonight? We covered a lot. What was the name of the book that you mentioned at the beginning? Yeah. Uh, I am jumping off of uh, the New Testament survey by Merrill Tenney. I'll put that, uh, let me put that in the, uh, I'll put that in the chat when we're done. And I'll make sure to include that also in the, uh, in the show notes uh, for the podcast and the YouTube uh, episode. Okay. So, all right. Any other questions? Yeah. Oof. A lot. <laughs> A lot to soak up. That's right. That's right. Well, hey, for those of you that are watching this or listening to this later, if you want to be a part of the live broadcast, let me know uh, so you can ask questions like Janet and Joanne did tonight. Um, and, uh, you know, all, as always, though, you'll be able to listen to this uh, at your leisure, uh, anywhere you find podcasts or uh, on YouTube. And, uh, and that'll be posted later tonight. Uh, so, uh Janet and Joanne, we'll, we'll talk here in a minute once I stop this recording. But for the rest of you, uh, hopefully you'll be on uh, with us next week. Until then, love well. <laughs>